Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. In this episode of The Greener Way, we're joined by Northern Trust Asset Management's Global Head of Sustainability and Stewardship, Julie Moray. Julie's going to explain to us how they manage companies with an eye to transition, net zero, and their obligation as stewards of assets. Julie, welcome to The Greener Way. Uh, Let's start out by asking you to explain your role and NTEM's view uh, on stewardship. Absolutely. So, so thrilled uh, that I can be here having a conversation with you. So stewards, um, what exactly do we mean by stewards of client assets? Um, Quite simply, at Northern Trust Asset Management, it means clients have entrusted us to protect and grow their capital um, in a way that we can return that capital, um, hopefully in a better condition than when we received it. And what that means is making sure that we understand all ranges of risk, including ESG, that has the potential to impair asset values, so loss of value, as Mm. well as capital appreciation, growth opportunities. So when we think about stewardship in that context, and we think about um, climate transition Mm -hmm. and the race to net zero, what we're actually talking about is a rewiring of the entire system. Mm -hmm. What that breaks down to is a rewiring of business models that are going to Um, leave no company, Mm -hmm. industry unaffected, Uh, a rewiring of traditional capital allocation frameworks from two dimensions of risk and return um, to risk, return and outcomes and impact, Um, and a rewiring of policymakers and regulation to actually create the market mechanisms and structures um, to support that transition to a lower carbon economy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whilst we've seen a lot of institutional investor commitment and Mm -hmm. support for net zero, um, it is still a complex area, particularly around the measurement and the actual delivery of those goals. And there's lots of questions that still remain, which is, you know, what's the best way to achieve net zero? um, And one that actually still fulfills risk and return obligations as well. I love this idea of this founding concept that you're returning capital in a better condition. Um, I am a Girl Scout. I guess I should say I'm a girl. I was a girl guide, uh, mm-hmm. given the audience here. And there's the campsite rule of being a Girl Scout that when you leave a campsite, you leave it in a better condition than yep. you left. So I love this idea that uh, there's a simple, similar standard at Northern Trust Asset mm-hmm. Management, uh, Julie. Um, so then, bearing that in mind, this idea that you are ultimately going to be returning your investors' capital in mm-hmm. a more sustainable fashion than you received it, mm-hmm. um, what does that mean um, in terms of the considerations that investors need to take into account? in constructing those portfolios? Yeah, so that's a great question. And we would advocate very strongly that investors should approach a decarbonization um, strategy Mm -hmm. within an investment program that is both nuanced and holistic. Mm -hmm. Um, So what do we mean by that? (laughs) Well, let's take a step back. um, And if we think about the composition of the MSCI World Index, Mm -hmm. 10% of the companies by market cap Mm -hmm. represent more than 80% of the total carbon intensity Mm -hmm. of that index. Mm -hmm. That carbon intensity is pretty much concentrated in three sectors, Mm -hmm. energy, materials, utilities, what's often commonly referred to now as the EMUs. So you think about that within the Australian market context. Um, The Australian market has a weighted average carbon intensity 60% higher than the global equities market. Mm -hmm. 
why should investors care about that? Mm -hmm. Investors should care about that because there are the practicalities of understanding the different carbon intensity profiles of different um, sectors and different regions that really need to be factored in in a very thoughtful approach to to portfolio construction. And so, you know, our, our view is that it's incredibly important to take consideration of those nuances and really understand what the impact is going to be if you do go down a divestment plan. And so our approach has always been divestment isn't the optimal solution mm-hmm. um, around net zero um, alignment or even reaching those real world outcomes. Um, it will inherently introduce um, unintentional risk biases within their portfolio due to some of these um, skews mm-hmm. that we see in the market structure. Mm-hmm. And it's really about, well, as an investor, how do you incorporate your decarbonization goals, but in a way that maintains, um, you know, risk neutrality on sectors, styles, currency countries, as well as within your, your tracking error range. Tracking error being particularly important in a market like Australia, where we have considerations about uh, regulation like your future, your super. I also want to highlight listeners, you've heard it here first. We don't just have bricks and fangs. We also have emus to worry about, which is particularly (laughs) apt given that we're here in Australia. Um, So shortly, I'm going to ask Julie how she integrates stewardship and transition given where we are and what the five-year outlook is. Uh, But first, I want to take a pause to tell our listeners about our inaugural ESG Power 50 list. Uh, We're in the final voting stage to identify the people working at ASX-listed companies that are kicking goals on environmental, social, and governance issues. Have your say on who you think are the influential leaders in this country by going to www.fssustainability.com.au backslash ESG Power 50 and voting. We'll drop that link into the show notes for your convenience as well. The ESG Power 50 list is brought to you by FS Sustainability, our gold sponsor Schroeders, and our silver sponsors AXA IM, Colonial First State, and Clearbridge Investment. Now back to our interviewee. So Julie, how do you integrate all of these concepts, being holistic, being systematic, given the five-year outlook and where we are at the moment? Yeah. So it's a great question. A couple of things to, to break down. You know, just, just, despite the fact that we're seeing some of the near-term pullbacks that we have been seeing with policymakers, politicians around, you know, activities aligning to, to net zero, those are pragmatic, practical trade-offs that need to occur because what we have at the moment is a tight energy market. Mm-hmm. We have high inflation. We have the high cost of living. Mm-hmm. So the reality is energy is needing to be sourced at whatever carbon intensity level. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that those are near-term pullbacks. They're temporal. And our longer-term outlook remains that we we believe that policy and regulation um, tailwinds is, is going to keep decarbonization top of the agenda. Mm. So um, breaking that down into the role of stewardship, um, I talked earlier about the importance of taking that holistic approach. I mean, what does that actually mean in practical terms for an investor? Mm-hmm. And for us, it's four steps. It's one, mm-hmm. ensuring that you're not just including historically aware carbon metrics in terms of carbon reserves, mm-hmm. in terms of carbon intensity, but you're blending that with forward metrics, um, which is 
assessing companies' transition preparedness, looking at resource efficiency, looking at the um, energy, um, the diversification of the energy mix. It's also ensuring that you're incorporating wider sustainability metrics um, within your portfolio design alongside fundamental valuation to help identify not just well-performing companies from a sustainability lens, but companies that also perform in terms of high return on equity, mm -hmm. um, durability of free earnings cash flow, and prudent management of, of capital, mm -hmm. um, capital management. Mm -hmm. How you then combine that is through optimization techniques that really are optimizing on return, but also minimizing and controlling for those active risks. And this is where we then get to stewardship. Because if you really want to drive real world outcomes, stewardship is an integral element of how you begin to drive some of that change at the system level. Mm -hmm. So this is engagement, not just with the companies, but it's engagement with index providers, with standard setters, mm -hmm. with policymakers, with regulators regulators and also how you vote your proxy. And so when when people are talking about real world outcome, how you achieve that beyond portfolios is how you actually use your voice mm -hmm. to actually raise some of those standards within the system. And so um, examples of that, uh, again, kind of tangible example is we're a firm believer um, in um, the power of numbers, which is why we do get behind a number of large industry collaborative initiatives, one being Climate Action 100 Plus, mm -hmm. where we're one of the co-founding signatories. And so when I'm asked about what does real world outcome mean? Well, a tangible example that I use there is we've been engaging mm -hmm. um, with CHES, which is a European um, um, integrated um, energy mm -hmm. um, conglomerate, 40% of which is coal mm -hmm. power based. And we are part of the leading um, engagement group that has been engaging with chairs around their decarbonization targets over the last several years, five years. So, so last year, the science-based target initiative actually validated CHES's um, carbon reduction targets mm -hmm. to be in line and well in line with the 2% um, Paris goals. Mm -hmm. That is a reflection of what a multi-year mm -hmm. engagement program can achieve through consistency and persistency with a large group of investors that's really driving for those um, enhanced decarbonization standards beyond just disclosures, but beyond targets and how companies are going to get to those targets. And so when I reflect on the role of stewardship, when we're talking about system-wide and mm -hmm. when we're talking about systemically important issues, that's where the lever that asset managers can use and should use is the engagement. Um, and so last year, um, Northern Trust Asset Management supported 83% of mm -hmm. all environmental proposals. Um, and we're incredibly proud that um, Share Action mm -hmm. um, has voted us um, um, the top performing US index manager in their annual proxy voting report. So that's really where the rubber hits the road. Excellent. So, and just for clarification for our listeners, Julie, um, the importance of the science-based target initiative, um, I'm given to understand that it's considered one of the more robust um, standards because the framework is aligned to containing uh, to the, uh, the containing global warming to 
no more than two degrees centigrade in line with Paris. And so they've used um, science to create standards that companies can implement. That's Is that absolutely, correct? Yeah. That's in short. Yes, we've, absolutely. We've got so many standards swirling around in this world. It's sometimes useful to be really yeah. clear on this. Um, it, it's interesting to see the Australian companies that are starting to adapt the SBTI um, and investors as well in terms of their decarbonization trajectory. Um, speaking of which, has, has Northern Trust Asset Management um, considered SBTI in terms of its own internal yes. benchmarking process? And so that's so absolutely. And so we're, we're aligning with SBTI. Mm-hmm. So not only within Northern Trust Asset Management's book of business, but mm-hmm. also at the corporate mm-hmm. level. And mm-hmm. so at the corporate level, we are also um, planning out our decarbonization pathway using SBTI for precisely mm-hmm. um, the same reasons. But you're right to call out that there are a huge amount of frameworks <laughs> and trying to kind of navigate what all these frameworks mean. It's it's interesting as well, just to pick up on um, your participation in Climate Action 100 mm-hmm. Plus, particularly as we're going to the mini AGM season here in Australia. Um, one of the more robust uh, points of discussion between investors and companies has been alignment of executive remuneration uh, to implementation of transition plans and then alignment of long-term incentives towards, you know, things like allocation of uh, CapEx and OpEx towards decarbonization. Um, how do you frame those discussions, um, either through car- Climate Action 100 Plus and collaborative engagements or individually when you're just Northern Trust Asset Management across the table? Yeah, so it's both. And yeah. so, you know, there are a number of industry collaborative initiatives that we will target primarily where we believe that there's alignment mm-hmm. around some of our objectives and where we believe that the pooling of um, a larger pool of AUM and a voice um, will help drive some of those system-wide changes. But also we do our own direct engagement. And mm-hmm. so we um, we blend the two together. Mm-hmm. And so we'll look at where are our biggest exposures uh, and we'll do a number of direct targeted engagements as well as industry collaboration as well. And how we frame all of these discussions is really to underscore the connectivity between sustainability considerations and how they will, over time, impact um, firm, firm financial valuations. And so it's what I kind of think of as what lies beneath the surface of balance sheet information, but that mm-hmm. can absolutely, over time, affect um, CAPEX, OPEX, return on equity, mm-hmm. durability of um, free earnings cash flow. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So now that we've fully solved for the problem of climate change in portfolios, Julie, what else do you have on your agenda for 2023? Yeah. So <laughs> 2023, there's um, often there's so much out there. Part mm-hmm. of the challenge is being very focused mm-hmm. around those big systemic topics. So number one, mm-hmm. again, despite some of the temporal near-term pullbacks mm-hmm. that we've seen in climate-aligned activity. Mm -hmm. We do believe that policy and regulation will continue to be a tailwind Mm -hmm. for keeping climate and specifically decarbonisation top of the agenda. Number two, um, we believe that biodiversity is increasingly um, becoming more of a focus um, amongst investors. When you think about half of um, the GDP is tied in some shape or form to natural capital. Mm. Um, And there really hasn't been um, um, as much depth around incorporating biodiversity. So under biodiversity, Mm -hmm. it's water and deforestation for us Mm -hmm. that we think are the big issues to to focus on. Mm -hmm. Third, human capital, Mm -hmm. specific to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the fourth one I'm going to put up there is... I think 2023 is going to be a year of interconnected risks. 
And so we're reaching tipping points. Mm -hmm. We're reaching planetary boundaries. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, when we talk about the sustainability ESG space, there can be a, a, a tendency to think about these issues in vertical silos. Mm-hmm. The reality is they're incredibly interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so 2023 will accentuate mm-hmm. um, how interconnected um, these issues are in really assessing mm-hmm. well-run businesses that are going to be here today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I One statistic that's always really surprised me going back to water is by 2030, it's estimated that we'll need 40% more water than we do today. (laughs) And when you look at the broad sectors that are impacted by water stress, they go beyond agriculture. Mm -hmm. It's utilities, Mm -hmm. cement, textiles, steelmaking. And it poses a very valid question to what extent are businesses that are operationally very dependent on water efficiency usage, Mm -hmm. how are they beginning to build that into their valuation, into their capex, into their opex. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the latent risks Mm -hmm. that we see increasingly coming through to the service, which we believe are incredibly important to understand in terms of, again, asset impairment Mm -hmm. and also identifying those businesses that um, are Mm well-run and and understand those externalities. Fantastic. Well, Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through uh, your approach at Northern Trust and asset management. Um, Julie Moray, Northern Trust Asset Management, Global Head of Sustainability and Stewardship. Great. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allenbackis. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.